training and development is at the root of this and um, we have hired a dedicated training manager who is responsible for upskilling new apprentices. Um, so that is one of the things and activities that we're working on and the Skilled Trades Excellence Center that you have viewed on your shop tour. We have our senior talent working with our junior talent to upskill them and make sure that they have the proper welding techniques and they are successful in completing their CWB tickets and TSSA tickets. And so our goal as an organization is to develop is to develop the strongest skilled trades people in this country. And so we're, we're dead. Hello and welcome to another episode of Making It in Ontario, the official podcast of the Trillium Network for Advanced Manufacturing. I'm your host, Nick Persichilli, and in this episode, I sit down with Crystal Darling, Corey Graham, and Grant Luscheck from Trimac. Not Trimac, Trimac. Crystal is the company's CEO, Corey is their senior director of sales, and Grant is their marketing manager. According to their website, quote, for over 35 years, Trimac has been an industry leader in the food, beverage, and pharmaceutical industries. Headquartered in Elmira, Ontario, with facilities across North America, we are a full-service, multi-trade solution provider for all your manufacturing facility upgrade and integration needs, end quote. It was a great chat and a fantastic facility, but first, some backstory. Before an episode of this podcast hits your ears, it must go through several stages of ideation, and we usually start with an overarching theme. This episode was titled Manufacturers Manufacturing for Manufacturers. After all, the tools used in manufacturing must themselves be designed and manufactured. Trimac makes tools to manufacture food, beverage, and pharmaceutical products, and they're very good at it. Without getting off on too much of a sales pitch, Corey discusses their Everclean technology and how it works. Do check it out. It's really interesting how they designed and built this tech. So this is where our discussion started, but it's certainly not where it ended. During our chat, Crystal and I discussed the various aspects of her job as CEO, the path she took to get there, and the solutions she's had to come up with in that time. We spent some time talking about the challenges she faced when looking to expand Trimax manufacturing footprint in Ontario. Turns out she ran into some trouble finding employable land for the expansion. Sound familiar? We discussed skilled trades and the challenges of hiring good people. I asked her about how she was able to get such a healthy demographic mix of employees on her shop floor because it was a very healthy mix of ages and gender. Turns out it's no accident. They set targets, measured their performance against those targets, and adjusted their operations as needed. We even discussed vertical farming, their actual welding school on their shop floor, and getting more women in manufacturing. Honestly, I could have done a full episode on any one of these topics but we only had an hour of their time. But perhaps my favorite part of the day was at the end of my shop floor tour when Grant told me about Trimac and the idea of the carbon footprint of wasted food. Check the timestamp for the discussion. See, as a company, it's relatively simple to reduce the carbon footprint of your product using advanced technology, automation, cleaner inputs, and things like that. But to actively think about how your product can reduce the carbon footprint of your customer, once the product is sold... I think is something else entirely. Crystal and her team have weathered a lot of turmoil, both before and during the pandemic, but it doesn't look like they've lost any momentum. With their skilled shop floor, their cutting-edge product designs, and tangibly forward-thinking philosophy, there is no doubt in my mind that Crystal and Trimac will continue to keep on making it in Ontario. And there we go. We are rolling. We are in Trimax boardroom. 
and I am being joined by three new friends. Uh, directly to my right, Crystal, would you please introduce yourself? Crystal Darling, CEO, Trimac Group. And immediately across from you is Mr. Corey. Uh, Corey Graham, uh, Senior Director of Sales, Trimac Group. Thank you, thank you. And now we've also got uh, Grant. Grant Luschek, Marketing Manager of Trimac Group. Wonderful. So thank you for, thanks to the three of you for joining us today. Um, tell us a little bit about this company. For those of you, for those of us who haven't uh, heard of what you guys are doing, tell us a quick 101 on Trimac. Not Trimoc, Trimac. That's something I learned today. Trimac Group uh, originated actually in 1985 with three machinists, hence the name Trimac. Oh. Mm -hmm. And uh, we started in a shop in Kitchener where we serviced the rubber and the food industry. And uh, eventually the rubber industry in Kitchener-Waterloo uh, had a downturn and focused our efforts primarily on food manufacturing. And, um, you know, over the course of the next 15 years, we expanded on a small machine shop and really transformed it into a multi-trade uh, center of excellence. So today uh, we make up four skilled trades, electrical, fabrication, machining, and mill writing. And we have over 300 employees across Elmira and Stratford and the United States, as well as Manitoba. Nice. And you guys have just uh, done a little bit of growing recently, haven't you? We have, yes. Mm -hmm. So uh, last year in 2021, we had expanded our operations into Manitoba. And uh, the year before that, we had expanded into the United States along the east coast of the United States. Um, we've completed three major facility expansions over the last three years. And over the last four years, we've done three acquisitions for the company. So. Yeah. So just so in case anyone's wondering, if you do decide to Google Earth the company, uh, it still shows a, a building that's being built. I can assure you that building has been built. I am sitting in it and it is lovely. So, yeah, thank you for joining me today. This is it's a really cool company and it got our attention because, well, internally, just so you know, the reason that we wanted to talk to you was because it was like it's manufacturers, manufacturing for manufacturers. Right. Which I think was a really compelling story. And, um, you know, tell us a little bit about what's coming off your production line, because I just got a sh I just got a tour of your shop floor. Thank you very much. Tell us a little bit about some of the stuff that you are producing. Um, f tell us a bit about your market. So we manufacture for obviously, like you said, food man food manufacturers. Uh, so that varies from like pharmaceutical, nutraceutical uh, into the protein sectors and beverage. And what you've seen on the shop floor today, ironically, will be totally different next week. Uh, yeah. at the rate of the amount of equipment that we move through here is actually very impressive um, because food never sleeps. That's one of the, the quick draws for us to our, our kind of market space um, is that ability to be nimble and deliver that equipment. So today you can see on the shop floor, you know, case handling and uh, complex or complex uh, laning as well as merging and diverting um, systems that will go into multitude of plants across Canada and the United States. Uh, and then next week, there'd be a totally different line of equipment sitting out there uh, at the same time. And you'll also see through there, there's everything from stainless platforms to, you know, very simplistic lines that are in for um, like turntables that still have a lot of human intervention into them. And then there's fully automated lines that come out of here as well. And there's there's one that's currently being packed up and shipped out. Uh, that's a fully automated hands off line. So I'm a complete novice on the food manufacturing equipment. You just said um, 
you were do doing different lines that are doing separating and merging or what was that? Can you explain a little bit about some of the stuff that, because I know I, I love eating, I love food, but I know nothing of the machinery. So part of it, it all starts like there's a bit of a story behind how all this kind of starts. So Canada as a whole suffers from what's called skew defamation. So we skew defamation. Yes. So we have in Canada, our manufacturing facilities have to produce so many different SKUs for our general population. Where in the States, they have a larger mass, so they can have dedicated facilities that will run, let's call like they're doing a certain burger patty, right? That's the easiest example. So they just run that one burger patty all day long. Well, in Canada, our, our manufacturers have to not only supply the same kind of uh, items as they do in the States, but we don't have the same population to produce those mass runs. So you have a lot of changeovers involved. So with that, you have to create flexible equipment within the market. So because we're not creating a, a, a system that's just going to run one burger, the same burger every day, all day, we have to create a system that can run that burger. And then that burger turns maybe into like, you know, a prepackaged um, ground beef product, and then it transfers to a different form. So when you have that, you have to create these merging and separation pieces of equipment because the packaging process in the, in the product length and width will vary throughout that that line run or changeover per se. Wow. So Grant, when he took me through the shop floor, he told me that a lot of the machines that we were looking at could basically just be hosed down. Right. Is that, 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 that's, yep. Can we expand a little on that just cause it's nice and quick. Uh... Yeah. So our equipment is, is obviously all um, non-fair. So what that means is it's all stainless steel in this particular building. Um, and all of our equipment is 100% washed down. Um, and that's where we kind of get into the design methodology of what makes Trimac Trimac. And, the idea behind the equipment is that at any point throughout the manufacturing of food, obviously it has to be a hygienic environment, um, that our equipment can be fully washed down with the minimal areas for harborage. Um, and when we say harborage points in, in equipment, we're talking about um, kind of mounted points, um, sandwiching material, anything like that. So we try to avoid that. So you'll notice a lot of the design cues in our equipment complement that either self-draining or stood off all those basic fundamental principles that we operate and train all of our people throughout the organization on to satisfy our customer base. Tell me about the Everclean technology you guys are working on. So our, our Everclean technology is essentially building and designing equipment with minimal harborage points um, and reducing uh, any of the areas that food or standing water can exist in. Uh, so we remove any areas that are kind of sandwiched together um, and angled uh, angle construction, self-draining, uh, a lot of the basic principles that are carried out through all of the equipment that we manufacture in this building. That's a lot of attention to detail. So basically, you've, you, when you're designing the product, you're, you're looking for places where water could pool, where, wow, okay. And that gets designed right out. Do you guys do that R&D here? Yes. Wow. Very cool. So as I said, I just got a tour of your shop floor, and I was, I was impressed. It was clean. It was bright. And it was very safe, which is the complete opposite of the perception that a lot of people have for manufacturing jobs, which is dirty, dark, and dangerous. So, Crystal, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tap your shoulder now. And uh, aside from being the CEO, you're also heavily involved with Conestoga, correct? Yes, I am. Care to tell us a little bit about what you're doing there? 
Uh, sure. I uh, am sitting on the Conestoga College Board of Directors as a, govern- a government-appointed position to represent skilled trades and help the college in the development of their curriculums and programming recruitment activities. Um, right now, we're in the process of unveiling a brand new skilled trades facility on Reuter Drive in Cambridge. Um, so that is a huge initiative that we have. And uh that um, makes up the majority of the uh, work I'm doing with the Conestoga College at this present time. So let's go back to the uh, workforce development component. As I said, I got a tour of the shop and I met uh, Mike, what was his last name? Mike Frazier. Um, we took a, we got to look at the, the classroom there and uh, I love the fact that you guys are training students. What more can you tell me about your, because you guys do have a classroom downstairs, right? A welding. We do, yes. What can you tell me about that? Our company is focused on skilled trades excellence, and so we've created a program specifically for the development of skilled trades because we we understand that our future in this country uh, depends on the success of the skilled trades. So we have classroom training where we take on apprentices and we make sure that they're ready um, to get onto the road either as a millwright or in the shop as a fabricator and they have the fundamentals uh, required in order to be a great trade, skilled tradesperson. Because a lot of your employees that I saw on the shop floor were very young. Like they're, they're like, uh, it was impressive to see. Like there was, I, I think I saw a handful of, uh, you know, senior mature employees, but then there was a lot of young people. How did you do that? I think that speaks to where we are, uh, truthfully, as a country and the deficit that we have in skilled trades. So there is a wide gap between um, older skilled trades individuals and um, the need for more skilled trades in in Canada. And so you're seeing that demographic uh, play out in, in the shop floor when you did take the tour. So. Yeah, because mm-hmm. I mean, I can tell you right now, there's probably a bunch of manufacturers that would love to get a hold of your secret sauce for how to staff up the way you have. Um, I don't know if you'd be willing to share it or if you want to keep it secret, but I mean, congratulations on a very well composed. Yeah, I, I mean, training and development is at the root of this. And um, we have hired a dedicated training manager uh, who is responsible for upskilling uh, new apprentices. Um, so that is one of the things and activities that we're working on. And the Skilled Trades Excellence Center that you have um, viewed on your shop tour, we have our senior talent working with our junior talent to upskill them and make sure that they have the proper welding techniques and they are successful in completing their CWB tickets and TSSA tickets. And so our goal as an organization is to develop, is to, to develop the strongest skilled trades people in this country. And so we're, we're dedicated to that and focused on it. Yeah, it was very impressive. Um, let's shift gears a bit and talk about funding. All of this growth that you guys have been doing, uh, tell us a little bit about how, uh, where, where did you get some fun? Where did the funding sources come from? Have you worked with partners, um, government partners? 
Yes, recently we have been working with the Ontario government. Um, obviously, you hear the commercials that are uh, displayed on the radio and the TV about the need for skilled trades and the attractiveness of the career path that skilled trades can offer. We are working with the Ontario government on a group sponsorship grant that will allow us to help grow skilled trades in this country. And we will do that by uplifting some of our t- senior talent to be more trainer and development type individuals, more supervisors on the road to ensure that we're working safely and uh, really try to upskill some of the junior apprentice talent faster than what we might normally have been able to do having the additional resources and dedicated classroom training. So Nice. Mm-hmm. I, as you can probably imagine, I visit various manufacturers and Every now and then something comes into my mind that I was just like, oh, I've never really thought of that. Or, oh, I've never really heard of that before. And then, Grant, you just in passing while I was taking off my steel toe caps said that idea, just the carbon footprint of wasted food. And I'd never thought of that before. I'm going to throw this to the three of you. Answer this however you like. Tell me a little bit about that question, the carbon footprint of wasted food. Yeah, so so this year we put a lot more emphasis on kind of our green initiatives and sustainability as a whole. So when you when you think about that, there's there's two sides to it. There's our internal efforts, which is how we use our power and how we reduce our carbon footprint and how our employees are involved. Um, which for that we're we're currently undergoing a green audit and trying to look at all of our um, all of our uses of energy right now. We've installed car charging points to help with that. We're uh, getting a green team to kind of get the, the company more involved with that and, and help out in any way we can. And on the external side, too, there's how we help our, our companies that we work for be sustainable, too. So more and more we see through them and on their websites, everyone is setting milestones, which is great to see, of, of um, net zero for carbon or for, or for waste or for uh, reduced water. But often things that go overlooked are just the wasted food and processing. So we can look at that as just trying to use motors that use less energy or, or little things on the equipment. But often the larger impact can be when, when food is wasted, such as a chicken wing on a conveyor, when it goes under the belt, sticks to it, and falls off on the floor, and that might happen a couple times a minute. If you times that, it's, uh, it's a lot bigger of an impact considering how much energy goes in to grow and slaughter that bird and get to that point from there. So with that, we've, we've released recently a, a green clean technology, which is kind of more of a, a mentality and a consulting brand that um, companies that want to go that extra mile to really help their initiatives and reach those milestones, we work with them with our innovation department and with our project managers to monitor their current processes and see how we can better it with thinking outside the box, not just throw a motor on. We can do things like that to bring more energy efficient equipment to it but it's more about the mentality of how do we actually do that and and right from the get-go of how easy it is to take apart and sanitize without using much water is already a huge benefit that it fit into our our core equipment already with how it's how it's designed so it's a lot more about just our experts being fully aware of all these little pain points and and locating them for the customer and helping them get to achieve their milestones so this is actually written down then. You guys have something on paper that says, let's think about reducing the carbon footprint of everything holistically. Yeah, so both internally and externally, because like I said, most of our customers have these milestones already. It's just how do we reach it? And often it takes thinking outside the box to get there. So we put out a report about a year ago when I started, and it talked about gender diversity ultimately comes down to leadership. 
and it comes down to it, it has to be more than just a statement on a wall or my, the point I'm trying to make is it seems like you guys are actually living that you guys are taking this to your customers you're saying hey we're going to give you a product that'll help you reduce waste Absolutely. I mean, I think uh, perhaps you had saw when you walked into our building that we publish our mission, vision, and core value statements right at the front door. And so when you work that from our vision, which is to be number one for our employees and our customers, and we work that down into strategic KPIs and focuses uh, for all of our companies, to be honest with you, ESG is paramount in the focus of that. So we talk about environment, we talk about sustainability building we talk about good governance um and so we are working hard on initiatives for sustainability not only for our customers but for our employees and equity in the workplace as well with a strong focus of women in skilled trades that is is i'm happy to tell you improving year over year uh, when I first started at Trimac Group, I think I made up a 1% of females in the workplace. And now we've grown that to be 12%, and our goal is to get to 20%. So part of the initiatives that I have at the college as well is to encourage more women in skilled trades. And I'm really happy to see that more women are looking at skilled trades as an attractive career for development. Crystal, you just said the magic word for me, KPI. Mm-hmm. The fact that you're tracking this, you're looking at this, you're looking at data, that is, that, I love it. That, that is absolutely fantastic. And, and it goes top down, right? It's right from ownership yes. all the way through to everybody working on the manufacturing floor. We're all united in that. And so I think that's what makes it great. Uh, because at the end of the year, we can, we can demonstrate our successes and everybody has had a part of it. And everybody knows the direction and alignment that we're going in. So, What can you tell me about the KPIs? Can you tell me about your KPIs? So we, we have asked all of our hiring managers to ensure that we have a percentage of women in the workforce. And during our hiring practices in talent acquisition, we are actively looking to bring more women into the workforce. Awesome. So let's shift gears again. And so now that I saw, I got a tour of the shop floor. What can you tell me about some of the things that I saw on the floor? Because, I mean, I am a complete novice and it just like, they look really cool. <laughs> But I mean, uh, what, 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 what was I looking at? What, because what, I've got some photos. What was I looking at down there? Well, when you would have entered onto the shop floor, there was a large kind of conveyor system that had a, a taller set of legs on it, we'll call it. That's for a case handling system that we've developed in partnership with a long-term customer. And then beside that, there was uh, feed conveyors for robotic p- pick and place, which is, you know, very, very a large emerging market uh, in the food world when it comes to food safety and and sustainability and then past that you had uh some just general more simplified uh systems uh for customers that are low uh sorry running lower volumes uh we had some kind of lazy susan designs and some some easy easy a to b conveyors and then on the other side what you saw on the fabrication benches there was a couple platforms we're we're manufacturing uh, and that's a, a big part of our business uh being you know, primarily known as a material handler, but our material handling company. 
but we do our, our strengths have always been in, you know, obviously in the fabrication side, but the fabrication side supports the mill writing side of the business. So when we talk about, you know, the skilled trades excellence and, you know, uh, the sustainability side and the food safety and the Everclean technology, you know, we have people on site that also uh, are physically installing and altering these pieces of equipment that believe in that same stuff. But on those benches, there's some uh, equipment that's there that is, you know, kind of, in my opinion, kind of revolutionary uh, to some of the stuff that we've designed and built over the last little bit, really challenging the status quo on what material handling is. Nine years ago, when I first started, um, we would build conveyors that took product from A to B. And now it goes from A, B, C, D, E, F. And then we need F to go back to A some days. So it it creates a bunch of really, really uh, interesting pieces of equipment that is forever changing out there. Um, and if you go there today and you came back, you know, next week and took another look, it would be a totally different uh, visual again. So my background is automotive manufacturing. I, I'm a car guy. And so I know what's coming down the pipe for cars and, you know, EV this, connected vehicles that. I, I, I've got a pretty good grasp on that. Food manufacturing, not so much. I'm aware that in general, people are trying to find new and more creative ways to grow food. And to, you know, stuff like that. And I remember seeing somewhere the idea of, and I know nothing about this, so vertical farming. Yeah. Is that something you guys have your fingers in right now? Absolutely. Yeah. What can you tell me about that? It's one of the core uh, industries that we're focused on right now. I mean, when you look at what is happening in industrial space is non-existent. We have more mouths to feed. We have... you know, eventually we're going to have to talk about encroaching on farming land for residential purposes, for industrial purposes. When you take away farming land, you need to still continue to feed those mouths plus more. And so what's going to happen is we need to be creative on how we output more volume of food with less space. And when you look at that, you need to go up. And we are seeing that already. I mean, we're seeing more platforms being created. We're seeing more businesses ask us, how do we get more capacity out of our current facility square foot plant? And the answer is to go up. And so vertical farming is going to be the next huge industry we believe that will hit uh, the North American market. We're already seeing it pop up like crazy in the United States. And we have some players here in Canada getting aggressive with a number of plants being built in, in southwestern Ontario. And vertical farming projects are not a common project. Like for the scope of work that they need completed by, you know, a company like Trimac, it's not they're not simple systems because the the nature of that stacking things vertically to grow them and then bulk being able to bulk package them and again in the interest of floor space uh, the most recent project we did was kind of a we'll call it harvest and tote conveyors and the tote system was very complex and there's qr codes on the totes that we had to read and distribute totes around a different aspects of the plant uh, depending on the type of uh, the type of product it was and or the end customer for the leafy greens Mm -hmm. And I think when you look at climate change, which is obviously a big topic, it's a big topic at government. One thing that we absolutely can't control and farmers can't control is the environment and the climate change that's happening all around them. Uh, Vertical farming inside facilities allows you to grow food optimally. It allows you to control that climate. And, um, you know, it's less risk 
than what perhaps farming has. So I do think that that industry is is going to uh, take off more than it is. There's uh, also for like the complementary industries that still depend on like, you know, general animal processing where they're kind of still limited and still kind of jockeying for, for space in their own facilities. One thing that we've noticed over the years is the demand for better yields out of all their equipment. So that becomes a, a very complex challenge as well. So long gone is the day of, you know, a, a failure point of a system now as part of a, like a SAT is X amount of product on the floor. So our customers want to see, you know, hygienic equipment that's built with high quality that has a great uptime efficiency. But part of that uptime efficiency needs to be the transfer points. So it's not, it you know, you, you walk out on the shop floor and you see a bunch of, you know, conveyors and it's a simple word, but those, the, the thought process and the passion that's behind that to make sure that it delivers product consistently every time and puts it where it needs to be um, is, is one of our key goals when designing equipment. So in that sense, you guys are just like every, every other industry in the world, which is make more with less and make it better. Much better. Yeah. Crystal, tell me a little bit about your path to the office you're in right now. <laughs> well, that's, a, that's, that's definitely an interesting question. So truthfully and admittedly, I uh, joined Trimac Group and I had no idea what a fabricator or millwright was uh, when I joined the company, but um, I fell in love with this industry, this business, because of the opportunity that it presented. I saw very quickly how this company could grow and expand and uh, for multiple reasons. One, because it's a skilled trades-based business, but also it's custom nature, right? We solve problems that nobody else can solve. And, uh, you know, I started out in sales, um, took on the marketing myself, and we continued to grow the business, diversifying it in many industries. We started in the meat industry when I joined the company in 2009, and we continued to expand into pharmaceutical, beverage, uh, food and, food and, uh, fruit and vegetable, um, dairy, frozen food, um, and and from there we really just took off and you know as the business continued to grow so did i think my uh leadership within the business and in 2017 um i was appointed ceo and that's really when we started to exponentially grow through acquisition um in in the marketplace so do you mind if i ask you how can we get more women into positions of leadership or is that <laughs> question you're just tired of getting no, I don't get tired of that that question at all. Uh, I think for me, what this is all about is making sure that we at the institution and academic level share the opportunities that exist in 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 this type of industry. Right? I, I can speak for my own personal growth. I was never exposed. Like I said, I didn't know what uh, a fabricator or a millwright was walking into this business. And that partially is because that exposure was never given to me in a high school setting. So one of my goals is to make sure that our recruitment efforts uh, and getting out to the colleges, getting out to the high schools and making sure that women understand the opportunities that are here for them in this in this industry. Um, the other thing is, is also the education of parents. 
uh, sometimes I have found that though the career path of skilled trades is not looked favorably upon by parents. And I can tell you with all certainty that this is a great career path for individuals. Uh, some of our employees are making far more money than they would, you know, going through the university academic setting um, and uh, their long-term careers that will always be needed, somewhat uh, re- resilient to recession, right? And it, it's it's an excellent career choice. And I think part of my goal is to make sure that we start speaking to more women about this type of industry, but also at the, at the parent level as well. So what do the barriers look like? Like, did you face, what, what barriers did you face as a, as a woman to get to where you are? Did you face any of them? What do they look like? You know, there's certainly barriers, and I would be lying if I said that there weren't barriers, but I think I was very fortunate to walk into this business where um, it was accepted and it was, um, you know, really promoted. Um, The reason I ask is because one thing I've come to understand based on the reports that we've put out is that I have my biases. We all do. What, like, what, what? As a female CEO, what ba- what barriers did you have to punch through? What do they look like so that if I see them, I can call them out? Do you know what I mean? Because I think a lot of guys don't fully understand. A lot of men don't fully understand what that looks like. So if you could, what did that like? What does that look like? Is that too much? The 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 issue that I have is there's barriers, right? And I think that the natural barrier is you're a woman. What do you know about the skilled trades? And my argument is that I don't have to be a skilled a skilled trades individual to understand this business and understand it very well. So when you ask me if there was barriers, um, certainly there are. But I think that the work ethic that I have and where I've taken the company has a demonstrated ability that has shown everybody around uh, myself in the organization that we are on a good path, a clear path, a successful path. So I could be naive, but I don't, I've never really felt like there was a lot of barriers because I just pushed through it and I'm a little stubborn. Um, and when I know I'm right, I will fight till the end to make sure everybody else sees the picture the, the same way I do. So I, I do think that resilience is required in this type of role. I think drive, passion, good judgment, um, you know, and just that that laser focus on who you are and where you can go is is really the keys to success. And I would say that for any uh, woman or any industry that they're in, regardless of sort of the demographic makeup of it. But certainly in the skilled trades, um, I'm not sure I can point to a lot of companies that are female-led, but I think that's what sets us apart truthfully as well. I'd be inclined to agree, especially after what I saw on the shop floor. Um, it looks like you've built a fantastic company. Let's talk about COVID-19. How has that, how, how has the reality of COVID affected business for you guys? So I think right at the onset, uh, we felt the impact pretty quickly, um, especially in our, our mail running side of the business, right? We had a lot of our customers who were unsure, didn't really know 
what COVID was or how to manage it. So a lot of our work in plants had sort of stopped immediately. I would say it probably took about two months before we were able to get back into facilities in a safe way with protocols in place. Our organization, I want to say honestly, has done a fantastic job in managing COVID-19. You know, everybody came to work still. We had nobody who was opposed to um, continuing working. We chose to support employees in whichever way they, you know, they wanted to manage um, the vaccination process and um, I think that was to our benefit because we also gained a lot of rock solid employees because other employers had decided to put mandates in place that uh, you know where we chose to just support everyone's belief system and um, you know support is one of our values our, our core values on the wall and uh, this was one of the ways that we demonstrated it. And so, you know, minimal impacts, I would say, over the last um, couple months, we saw more of, uh, of an impact in terms of scheduling because we, we saw a little uh, a rise in the number of um, positive cases, but to be expected, right? So, um, but no, I think as an organization, we conducted our safety investigations. We made sure that our staff felt safe. They understood the protocols. They respected the protocols. They followed the protocols. And we continued to um, satisfy our customers and uh, while maintaining a safe workplace. So, Actually, let's talk about those uh, your customers. What, um, <clears throat> um, how did they feel the pinch? How were, how did, th- did their requests of you guys change at all? A lot of the the initial requests still maintained around, you know, when COVID first hit, they everybody still wanted to get those equipments, in, the equipment they had ordered in, because they have you know formulated ROIs and stuff around that, and there was key pieces of capital that were coming. So for the first little bit, that unsure kind of really rocky, turbulent time, um, it was a lot of kind of sitting back, and then once the dust settled on that everybody realizes realized very quickly if you didn't you kind of do what crystal spoke about in supporting your employees and getting everybody on board to push through and and make it happen you end up with a lot of our customers that didn't have people that showed up so you know finding stakeholders for their for their facility to work on the line was becoming more and more challenging and what they found was they were not running certain lines because they just didn't have manpower. The other thing too is a lot of the food manufacturing that goes on, it goes to two places, either it goes to a restaurant or it goes to, you know, your grocery store. And grocery store product is is significantly more and I'll call it manicured. So it's, you know, um, presented in a way that would make you want to buy it. Where stuff that's sold to your food service is more, you know, it's bulk, right? So they're they're doing the dolling up and, you know, and doing their trims and extra cuts to make that that filet of steak look phenomenal on your plate. And those lines for food service got had to be retooled. So, you know, immediately we identified that gap in the market and, you know, we started working with our customers and and helping them in any way we could to retool those other lines to suffice for the amount of consumption that was happening now through the grocery store chain. Chris, I wanted to ask you one last question, which we've already kind of talked about, but I want to dig in a little bit more. The availability of industrial land. What can you tell me about how much that issue affects your day-to-day, how much it has affected your day-to-day? Tell me about your take on Ontario's uh, availability of industrial land. 
Yeah, so employable lands right now, particularly speaking in the Waterloo region, are scarce. And what we see is that the the business development of, you know, the townships and the region for employable lands, there's no movement happening here. And so when you have a growing business and you have lots of opportunity and we're constrained from a building perspective, it forces us to look at other areas to move our businesses, right? Coupled with the fact that, you know, when you look comparatively at the United States, they're offering great subsidies to move manufacturing operations in, in, into the United States. So, you know, the, the employable lands issue is a major issue, not only for us, but for all businesses, um, and what I'm seeing is not much movement in terms of the development of more lands. So that is driving prices up. Building costs are going up. Land costs are going up. And that ultimately will affect, you know, pricing in the marketplace. And it's a slippery slope from that point, right? Because prices go up. Can businesses afford that? Can our customers afford that? And, uh, I'll let the the rest of the story tell itself. And it's unfolding as we speak. That's right. Yeah. I want to thank all three of you for chatting with me today. This has been informative. This has been enlightening. And you guys have one heck of a shop. Thank you. It's, uh, yeah, and, uh, you know, you should be commended for it. It's been, uh, you know, I think the work that you guys have done, uh, it's reflected in the attitude of the people on the floor. And um, I, I look forward to hearing more about what TriMac is uh, coming up with uh, in the coming weeks, months, and years. Thank you very much.